Thank you, Dale, and uh, thank you for the privilege it is to be here with you this morning, and thank you to Pastor Dave for the invitation. It's great to see familiar faces, and uh, it's great to be with you all here this morning. I think the last time I was in this sanctuary was when my son was graduating preschool, uh, and that was a few years ago, and we were singing Feliz Navidad. So, you know, if you could all just do that, you know, do have me a favor and sing that just now, that would be, that would be wonderful. There you go then. <laughs> it's not that time of year, but, you know. Um, it is a privilege to be with you here this morning and to primarily open up God's Word. And what is it that God would want to share with us this morning? What is he, like John shared this morning, what is he placing on our hearts? What is he tapping our shoulder about in terms of how we engage with the poor, those who are on the margins of society, those who are on our doorstep? What is it that God is stirring our hearts about this morning? So before I begin to unpack scripture, I think Dave gave me an hour to speak. Is that right, Dave? hour and a half. That's awesome. I am Scottish, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, but before I begin to unpack Scripture and share who Tear Fund is and why we exist, it is important for me to share a little bit about who I am. And Dale very kindly, very graciously emailed me this week and said, what can I share about you? And I thought, mm, maybe call my mom, maybe ask her. But um, um, Yes, yeah, so you know I'm from, if you haven't already detected, I'm from Scotland. Uh, my wife and I have been living and working in uh, Vancouver. We've been here since 2003. And uh, we studied at Regent College. We originally came out uh, from 99 to 2000, and in good student fashion, we ran out of money. So we went back home and we worked and then returned in 2003 and we never left. We have three children. We have Elia, who is five. We have Samuel, who's 16, and Joseph, who is 14. I've worked in the marketplace and in pastoral ministry, and for the past 10 years or so in international development. That's a little bit about who I am, but I want to be a little bit more vulnerable with you because story matters. Our story matters to God, and we're going to see that in Scripture. So, other aspects of my story. My dad is from India, and my mother is Scottish. That's why I don't look like the typical red-headed Scot. My parents divorced when I was seven, and I really didn't cope well with that divorce as a child. I struggled immensely with it, but found love and care from my grandparents, who really were the ones who brought me up and the ones who I really connected with. I am passionate about football, the type you kick, not the type you throw. I love, thank you, yeah. That's retired Pastor Dave, the Liverpool supporter there at the back. That's a shout out for you particularly this morning. I love singing and playing music. I love art, books, being in nature, 
And these places have always been the spaces that I have connected most deeply with God. I am my own biggest critic. And my biggest failure is that, as an Enneagram 4, if anyone is into Enneagram, whilst I envy others, what people think of me matters. And it's been debilitating at times, causing anxiety and anguish. I have the ability to read people quite well. Integrity is everything to me. I like to think of myself as having quick wit, but mostly my comedy is sarcasm. No, it really is. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I cry really easily, but I've learned to embrace that because I think God wants us to listen to our tears. Except when I find myself crying as Scarlett Johansson starts singing Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of by U2 in the movie classic Sing 2, which I rewatched last night with my daughter, who turned to me and was like, Dad, are you crying again? <laughs> but there's one thing I absolutely love. I love hearing other people's stories. There is something, you see, particularly beautiful about sitting down and listening to the stories of others. In the past several years, as Dale alluded to, I have had the tremendous privilege of traveling all over the world to meet with women, children, and men who have been freed from slavery, who've been rescued from sexual exploitation, and who have had their lives changed through poverty alleviation and economic empowerment. You see, there is something deeply, deeply spiritual and wonderfully beautiful when we sit across a table, share a meal or a coffee, and pay undivided attention to another soul, where we listen and we physically lean in. When we lean in and listen to the stories of others, whether that's a freed slave, a rescued child, a refugee from conflict, a family now flourishing with food security, we are saying, you matter to me and you matter to God. You have worth, you have dignity, regardless of your past circumstance. And I hope that at some level, we have all experienced that, either when we're grieving or sharing in the story of a young person struggling with mental health or school, or an elderly parent who's perhaps wrestling with dementia, or holding the hand of a friend or a spouse towards the end of their life, you lean in and you listen because they matter, and they matter to God. Why do I say that? Well, I say these things because the truth of those statements can be found right in the heart of Scripture. In fact, the whole corpus of Scripture is about that very truth that you 
everyone outside of this church, that even myself, we matter to God. So let's read together Scripture. Matthew 25. So if you have your um, Scripture with you this morning, you can turn to Matthew 25. We're going to read from verses 31 to 40. Or you can listen uh, to my Scottish dulcet tones or read uh, the Scripture behind me, which should appear on the screen. So let's read God's Word that still brings life to us today. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And listen carefully. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your scripture that is truth that speaks to us today. Emblazon these words on our hearts. And Spirit, we invite you to move amongst us, stir our hearts into action transform and renew us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Now, those words in Scripture are very powerful. And over the years, as I have served and sought to follow Jesus in the midst of everything that the world chooses to throw at me and you, Matthew 25, for me, has kind of become my manifesto, as it were my life motto to live by. And what I have found in all of my travels is that when we listen to the stories of others, like I've said, particularly the poor and those on the margins, like John has experienced, I'm sure, when we choose to serve the poor, we are immersing ourselves and embodying God's story of restoration to the whole world. Restoring all that is broken, all that is messed up through sin and pride. And even more mysteriously than that, when we are serving and listening to the poor and those on the margins, what Jesus is saying to us in this particular passage is that when you clothe the poor, when you feed the hungry, when you visit the prisoner, you're serving Jesus, that you are serving me. 
In fact, if you want to know me, what Jesus is saying, if you want to know my heartbeat for the world, if you want to know me personally, you're going to find me with the poor. You're not going to find me in affluence. You're going to find me with those on the margins of society. That's where you will find me. You want to know why you matter to me? Serve the poor. You want to know how much I love you? Serve the poor. You want to know why I want to restore broken relationships? Serve the poor. Do you want to know why you matter to me? Serve the poor. Jesus is saying in this scripture, when you're serving the poor, you are serving me. And it's there in the midst of all that is broken, in the midst of famine and drought, in the midst of exploitation, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of all things that are broken in this world, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of the refugee crisis around the world, you're going to find Jesus because he's there already. In this passage, it's completely crystal clear. In no other place in Scripture but here is Jesus saying to us, I am centrally located with the poor. I am proximate with them. Proximate means I am close to. I am in the midst of. I am right there with them. That's why the minor prophets and the Psalms can say, that God bends his ear towards the poor because his son is there. He hears the cries of the widows and the orphans because Jesus is already there listening to those stories. You can only do those things, bend your ear to the poor, listen to their cries, listen to the widows and the orphans if you're close to them if you're proximate and not remote. So Matthew 25 is quite the passage. So if all you uh, remember from today, remember that Jesus can be found when you serve those on the margins because he's right there. And he's saying in this passage, when you're serving the poor, when you're serving in your local food bank, when you're serving your neighbor who is struggling with health or anxiety, you're going to find Jesus because he's already there. And really, Matthew 25 is the reason that Tear Fund exists, because we take seriously the cries of the poor. We believe the church, God's people, you, right here at Calvary, that you are called to serve the poor and plead the case for the widows, orphans, and refugees. And we believe at Tear Fund, because of Matthew 25, there's no opt-out clause when it comes to serving the poor. Jesus commands it here. Jesus commands it here because he himself is already serving them. So why do we do what we do 
at Tierfund. Well, I've got a number of slides that I want to go through, and then we're going to end by circling back to Matthew 25. So why do we do it? Well, firstly, we believe that all of humanity are more than just material, but we are spiritual beings, that we were made to have relationship with God, that you and I were made to be in relationship with God. And so what we're doing at Tear Fund is restoring broken relationships because poverty can rob people spiritually as much as anything else. By walking alongside the marginalized in love as Christ did, we can give back what poverty has stolen. And what has poverty stolen? Dignity, worth. It's scraped away what it means to be made in the image of God. And so we are in the business of restoring that through the local church. We believe that mobilizing God's church in the very poorest places can unlock people's God-given power and potential. When you listen to the stories of the poor and say you matter because God loves you, untold things can happen. Whole communities can be transformed. Lives can flourish again. We believe in the local church because we believe the local church is the hope of this world. That means you are the hope of this broken world. When you engage with the poor, when you engage in their stories, you will, alongside God, create flourishing and resilient communities. So why do we do these things? Well, we're addressing the causes of poverty rather than just the symptoms. The deep spiritual brokenness, the stripping away of dignity and worth. Through the local church, we are addressing those issues. We found that the same people facing these kind of troubles also have the best ideas on how to overcome them. So when we are in the local church and in the local community and we're training and equipping and empowering the pastor and his eldership team and all those in his community, we have found that they already have the assets to deal with some of the most difficult circumstances they find themselves in. Do you know why? Because they're made in God's image. There are already assets in these broken communities. What do, what do we do? Well, we empower and facilitate national partners to serve their own people and churches. So what do we mean by this? We in the global north do not have all the answers. The answers are from within the communities and from within the global south. And so we partner with engaged, excellent national partners so they go and train their churches and their pastors and whole church communities in what it means to deal with some of the most difficult crises the poor are facing. Drought, famine, untold climate change. So we empower and facilitate national partners. 
And there are really three key focus areas that we concern ourselves with. The first is church-based community transformation, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in the next half hour, right? Because, Dave, I've got an hour and a half, right? We've got plenty of time. Just get comfortable. So we're going we're gonna to return to that in a couple of minutes. Secondly, we are involved in disaster response or humanitarian aid, and I'm going to share a little bit about our response with regards to the Ukraine crisis. And then community development, helping to create resilient, sustainable communities so that they have the tools necessary if the rains don't come, if famine is uh, being pushed upon the wider community that they have the tools and assets to deal with it. And how do we do it? Well, we have long-term partnerships with national partners who are tied to the local church. We provide technical assistance, so we really get into some expertise in terms of international development. And we invest in technical training and not just handing out stuff, but we really want to empower, equip, and mobilize the people and communities to deal with some of the uh, difficult issues that they encounter. We invest at least $150,000 annually, and we look at long-term partnerships over a five-year period so that then after five years, we can say, you're all doing great work, and we can pull back our resources and allow the community to continue to flourish. So what has it looked like then when we have responded either in humanitarian crisis and disaster response aid? Well, we know that there's a severe conflict going on in the Ukraine. So I just want to share this slide behind me in terms of what, have, what our response has been, because I know that a number of you uh, from this community have responded in kind uh, to our partnership with the Mennonite Central Committee who have partners on the ground within Ukraine. So we have provided particularly health assistance. So we've provided 30,000 treatments that were shipped just last week to Poland and Moldova. So those treatments are for the refugees who have fled. 30,000 will be shipped this week. So this was an update that we received on Friday. 30,000 more treatments will be shipped this week and every week for the next eight weeks. So there are going to be 300,000 at least treatments that we will be providing care for for refugees that have fled into Poland and Moldova. And those treatments include cancer drugs or drugs that are involved um, in diabetes that don't have to be refrigerated. In conflict, people suffer incredible um, trauma and wounds and um, well, you've seen the images. So we've been able to deliver 40,000 wound treatment care packages, and all the money that has been raised so far through Tear Fund has been dispersed to partners on the ground. So I want to thank you and thank uh, the team here for, I see the ticker tape of Ukraine crisis and giving through Tear Fund on your uh, homepage. So thank you for your continued partnership and prayer with us um, as we respond to those needs. 
But fundamentally, we're also, like I said, involved in long-term partnerships. So what does that look like? And Dale had already shared that in Christ at Christmas time, you were able to raise funds for a particular project in Tanzania. But before we go to Tanzania, I'm going to take you to Ethiopia, partly because I was there just three weeks ago. So behind me, there should be a picture of Bereket, and I believe Bereket was here just a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, and he shared about his work at Terapeza Development Association. So just over three weeks ago, I was able to travel to Ethiopia, not just for the coffee, although the coffee was excellent, um, but to really see on the ground the work that we are doing and to see the exemplary work of Terapeza Development Association. So this is an organization that Tier Fund Canada has been working with for over 15 years. So prior to becoming Tier Fund Canada, we used to be World Relief. Maybe that's a name that you are familiar with or have history with. Um, but we have been with Terapeza Development Association for more than 15 years. And I have to say, the quality of their development work, their investment in communities, the staff um, that they have are some of the most gifted, excellent leaders I have come across. They're wonderful people. And so please continue to pray for them as they have a multiplicity of crises that they're having to deal with. In Hubicha, which is a region that I visited, um, there's famine going on. And by famine, I mean that families, and the average size of a family in Ethiopia is about five or six, families are on less than one meal per day. And what that means really is that they're having one meal every two days. Rains now, because of climate change, have become completely unpredictable. So when I was there, it ought to have been planting season. There's been no rain, and there still is no rain. And when the land is so dry, when rains come, what do you think what happens? Rain disappears. It's like concrete, the ground. And so Terrapeza works with communities through the local church by training them in how to ensure that when the rains do come, that it doesn't dissipate, but that it can be stored in wells, that you can retain the moisture in the soil. And so we work through the local church in what's called church-based community transformation. And so there should be a picture there of Pastor Matthew. So this is a, a photo I took of Pastor Matthew when I was in his church. And as he shared about uh, the training that he had received from Tear Fund. So what is it that church-based community transformation is all about? Well, Terrapesa Development Association have really well-equipped trainers who will go to local churches and share their expertise on what it means to ensure that you have greater crop yields, ensure that you can have good storage for the grain that you're able to harvest, 
that you can invite the wider community to come and be trained. And what they found when they've trained the local church, and in particular the pastor, so the pastor has to model all this training. He's got a test plot on his church land that can then show the community. When you have a trained pastor, when the pastor is sold out on the expertise that Terapeza is giving them, it has a wonderful ripple effect through the community. You see, the church is still so well respected and admired in these rural communities throughout Ethiopia, in the south where I was. And so what the church and the pastor says and does matters. And so we train, we equip, we empower, and we allow the church pastors to model to their community the work on soil retention, good agricultural methods. And what they found is, as they share these gifts with the community, the wider community who are perhaps not engaged with the church start coming to the church, start attending and meeting Jesus. So it's a wonderful thing. But in particular, I know that you as a community have given to church-based community development project in Tanzania. So I have a few slides about what's going on in Tanzania. So you, you can go through these slides as I just share some of the, the work there. So in Tanzania, we are working with the Anglican Church of Central Tanzania, and they are an evangelical, vibrant community whose church leadership is teaching both the spiritual and physical needs of humanity. Now, there's a recurring drought in Tanzania at the moment, and the training that you are equipping and empowering our our partnership with the Anglican Church there is that you're helping people meet their own needs and helping their neighbor through the training that they are giving. In particular, in Tanzania, you are equipping and empowering 10 parishes, and in each parish, there's about 5 to 12 small church communities, and then typically a larger church that is, com- that is connected to it. To date, you have allowed the training of 161 farmers. We have 11 village savings groups where approximately there's 20 to 27 people. 80% of those people in those village saving groups are women. You, Calvary, are equipping and empowering these groups. You're doing this. So thank you for your partnership. Each farmer is saving around 7 to 35 cents each week, and what you're providing is economic empowerment. What you're saying, essentially, you matter. Your flourishing matters to us here in Calvary Baptist Church in Coquitlam. That's awesome. (laughs) That's brilliant. You're equipping and training women, young women, to free themselves from poverty. That's awesome work. So thank you for your partnership. And I'm excited to share more in the coming months with you as a community as we uh, see the results of your commitment. 
Lastly, the other area that we uh, commit ourselves to in training is conservation agriculture. So there's a changing climate in the global south. We find that climate change affects the poor disproportionately than what it affects us here. Now, in BC, notwithstanding last year, we had statistically impossible environmental events. In October of last year, I had the privilege of attending COP26, which was the climate change conference. And I was listening to some of the indigenous leaders share about what's going on in this world. Overwhelmingly, where the indigenous leaders were from, mainly poor communities in the Pacific, poor communities in the global south, like Asia, India, across Africa, the story was the same. Our exploitation and our, um, our blinkeredness, if that's a word, to the issues of climate change and the exploitation of God's creation is having a disproportionate effect on the poor. So it means, like I have seen, like I have seen firsthand in Ethiopia, drought that is recurring, famine as a result of that drought. We've also seen um, significant changes in weather patterns, which doesn't allow these small farmers to plant and harvest and yield their crops. So we work with the local church in conservation agriculture. We work with small subsistence farmers and what it means to mulch a piece of land. It was new to me. Mulching is the covering of land to keep soil uh, moisture so that you can continue to grow plants even in the midst of drought and famine. And so you too are doing this in Tanzania. This is wonderful. So thank you for your partnership. But let's quickly, as I close, circle back to Matthew 25. What is it Matthew 25 is saying to us? Well, it's saying a few things. First, you and your story matter to God. So let's this week, if we can, Commit to listening to the stories of others. Whether it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a neighbor, someone you pass in downtown Vancouver that you've always felt compelled to speak to, but you never have because of shame or anxiety. Let's turn to our neighbors and our strangers to say, you matter to God, and so you should matter to me. Secondly, Let's continue to wrestle and to reflect on the fact that Jesus is proximate with the poor. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to be transformed by his life, death, and resurrection, let's look at ways we can serve together to serve the poor. And thirdly, let's be brave enough to implement that. Let's follow Jesus together where the need is greatest and the need is greatest with the poor. I'd love to chat with you further um, at the end of the service, so I'll be hanging out at the desk in the foyer. 
Um, I do have some devotionals uh, with me, which is really unpacking a theology of justice, a theology of mercy, and what it means to walk alongside God. It's a five-week course, so um, it's, it's really, really good. So uh, those are free, and uh, I'd love for you just to come up and grab one, and, and uh, maybe together you can unpack that together. But I'd love to chat with you at the end of the service, and thank you for the invitation to share God's word and to share what we're doing at Tear Fund. But let me pray and then I can hand over to Reese. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness to us this morning and I thank you for uh, your scripture that speaks truth to us. And um, we recognize that sometimes when we read scripture and we're confronted by truth, then we have things to deal with in our own lives. And so, Spirit, would you do your work uh, in our lives and in our hearts? Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for their partnership with us. Would you continue to stir their hearts uh, to serve both locally and globally um, in your work, Jesus? Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and to worship And as we continue in worship, come and meet us in grace and in peace. In Christ's name, amen.